Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Hi, my name's John Carasella, and I'm your host for Convergence on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Convergence is to consciousness as gravity is to the material world. In small amounts, gravity is overwhelmed by every other fundamental force of the universe. But gravity has something nothing else has. It's cumulative. The more matter you collect, the more gravity you get, until it becomes the most powerful force of the material world. I think convergence is like that too. Only in this case, we're working with truth. The more truth we collect, the more convergence we experience. Connections, relationships, resonance of ideas and concepts, science and mysticism. Lately, deep truths just seem to be coming together, even as many of the illusions around us are falling apart. As within, so without. As above, so below. I know I'm feeling it, and I'll bet you are too. For the next 90 minutes, we'll be exploring concepts and topics that in some way or another bring us around to a deeper truth. Join me and my guests for this week's experience of Convergence. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Convergence. This is our Firefly Willows L-I-V-E Roundtable. I'm John Carousella, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Deb Carousella. Good morning. Mildred Lynn McDonald. Good morning, John. And Hi-C Lutmers. Good morning. So welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me. You know, it uh, we've had quite a season here. Uh, the winter here in California has been probably one of the driest winters in 500 years. That's what they're saying. So it's, uh, has been quite a terrifying drought and, uh, and we've all been worried about it. And lots of us have been doing spiritual work around uh, praying for rain and trying to uh, make the rain happen, invite the rain to come and so on. And through the blessings of the divine, it actually has started to rain and we're all really excited and relieved. Although Deb, I think you have something to say about the mixed blessing that is the rain in this case. In this particular case, yes. I I'm, I'm certainly do not want to scare the rain away. I just wish it wouldn't be raining inside my bedroom. Uh, and, and you'd like to have your backyard covered at the moment, I think. Yes, I would. My dogs would much rather be want running about outside than inside looking out. Yeah. So um, having said that, the rain has come. And, you know, it dawned on me that there were things about the drought that, of course, that, that were scary and, and painful, and not just for humans, but there were also things about the drought that were important. And it led me to to contemplate, you know, sometimes things like uh, things things that we don't want, like the drought, are things that we need in order to bring certain awareness to us. Things that are, would otherwise be hidden by the bounty are revealed in the sparseness. So I just thought I would invite our listeners, as well as my, my co-hosts here, 
to contemplate a little bit about the drought here in California in, in particular and drought in general in our lives, things like drought where, where we're not getting what we feel like we want and or need. And what might that reveal about, about our lives, about the way we live our lives, about our relationship to things and so on. So, so let's start with the drought itself. Um, what do you think the drought has done for us here in California as people in terms of our awareness? Anybody? Well, <laughs> pretty quiet out there. <laughs> um, uh, it depends. I, I'm not really sure that I am convinced that there were that many people that were worried about it. Well, let's just talk about each of us. Like okay. w- you were aware of it. I was aware of it. And while, as I said, I knew it was an issue, we needed rain and we were not getting rain. But in my particular instance, it was a blessing in disguise. Because it allowed me an entire month to concentrate on other things without the problem that ended up being a problem. I I need to have a new roof. I knew I needed a new roof on my home, but I didn't have to deal with it right then, right there, and while it was actively raining. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I didn't realize the severity or the, the how important... Um, the fact that I, I knew I needed a new roof, but it was kind of a, well, maybe I can stretch it out and do it next year and not this year. No, I can't. It has to be done now. But I couldn't know that until it started to rain. But not having that rain for the whole month of January really allowed me to concentrate on some of the other things that were just as immediate um, and needed to be dealt with and handled without the a burden of also dealing with getting someone out here. What do I do? How do we deal with this while it's actively raining? Um, will I have to, you know, be cleaning puddles of water off the floor for three weeks straight? Um, so for me, it, it really was kind of a, a blessing in disguise. But now that it did start to rain, I, I, like I said, I don't necessarily want it to stop. It's, it's way, way too important that we get our water levels back up. Mm. Yeah. Um, Mildred Lynn, what about you? I have a little bit of a different scenario. I now live in an agricultural area. So what I found the lack of water and the torrential rains that we just experienced, when we had lack of water, I was able to look at the links in the chain that that would impact. So, for example, the vineyards were not able to be watered properly. So that meant a reduction and more being more specific in the plants that you decided to water. The farmers, the organic farmers, were having difficulty with the pasture land. The organic farmers were having difficulty in wondering how they were going to water their cows. I was out and... A lady told me that a farmer was actually starting to sell off his cows. So what it did for me is it really drove home the connection between the water and the land and how vulnerable we all are if this basic 
life force is not there. After all, it makes up 75%, I believe, of our body. So mm. that's what it did for me. It put a magnifying glass on the food chain, and it also made me take a step back, and I reacquainted myself with the base realities of where we get our food and what's needed to produce the food. So that's how it impacted me in Sebastopol. Right, right. Mm. And I see. So for me, and hopefully for other people, um, what it's done is is make me much more conscientious and aware that we can't just continue to take chances and risks or take for granted that the rain will come or the water will be there, you know. And so it might have been previously when there's a little bit of a, a dry spell between rain that we would normally have in the winter. Um, and I might think, well, you know, I'll go ahead and water my lawn because it probably isn't going to rain until next week, but then it will rain. So it's okay for me to go ahead and use the water to, you know, run the sprinklers. Um, I do see people that still seem to have a lack of awareness because even on the days it was raining recently, I would be out walking the dog and walk by a house that had their sprinklers going. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Um, but I think it's also made me much more um, intentional in my relationship and use of water so that I think very, very specifically and intentionally every time I'm going to use water as to do I need to use this water? Do I need to use this much water or can I use less? So, you know, like if I put a dish in the sink and have put a little water in it so that, you know, things won't dry on the, the dish before I can wash it, I won't come back and run the faucet to then wash it out. I'll just use the water that's already in it to rinse and, and wipe it out mm-hmm. and then put it in the dishwasher. I mean, um, you know, but I, I make sure that I'm uh, e- even when I drink water, because I drink a lot of water, but I've become much more intentional in drinking the water. I'm very, very <laughs> reverent to the water. And, and you know, I'm I'm present with that glass of water that I have and understanding that it's a very valuable commodity and something to be very much grateful for. Whereas before I might just have, you know, poured a glass of water, drink it on my way. But now it's like every glass of water, I actually think about water and where it's coming from and thanking it for being there to still be able to be drunk at this point. Mm. Uh, you know, so, um, but like Mildred, I'm also aware of kind of that chain, you know, because I heard that since they're going to not have the water to get to the ag- agricultural lands, for example, the food banks are having to ramp up and prepare because if the farmers aren't able to do the crop, then that means that not only will the farmers not be making their money, but the people who drive the trucks that would deliver that uh, produce to the stores, that will be cut back. The people who are out, you know, picking the crops and that kind of thing, they're not going to be working, you know, and so on and on down the line. It's things I didn't even think about, but how it will affect, say, the unemployment rate, um, you know, the the need for greater access to food banks and food banks to be more well stocked because people will have to be taking advantage of those. So that's also what it's brought me in terms of awareness. Yeah, I, you know, the 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 intimacy, and I think Mildred, you you sort of pointed this out. The intimacy of our relationship with water is what has been brought forward for me. Just how 
essential water is to the to the cycles of life and vitality and our awareness or lack of awareness of that intimacy is what the drought has brought forward for me like we're you know taking things for granted like i see as you said um uh it's so easy to take water for granted and it, it it's, it's such a s- silly thing for us to take water for granted in a place like california where the water that we that we do have is not naturally present for us uh where we live and you know i also have come to understand that all of the infrastructure that we built here in terms of water management over the last uh, 100 years or so was built during a period of relative wetness. So we have certain expectations about the the amount of water that comes to us uh, that's based on the wettest scenarios. So it's even more compelling to bring awareness, bring to our awareness uh, our relationship to water and our sensitivity to that relationship with water. Um, and that's, I think, what the drought has helped me to see. So uh, it's like the the drought points to to how dependent I am on the thing that I have been not really attentive to, you know. And I, so I just, you know, want to reflect that back into um life right our, our daily our daily routines um do you feel like uh has anybody got a, had an experience where they've had a drought that is not a water drought but a circumstantial drought uh that has been affecting their lives and and how has it affected your life well john i think that, that could be related to a writer's block or maybe a life block where you're feeling mm. stuck. And I guess you could look at water being related to emotion. So maybe you could take that over to being an emotional block. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then the question, as you were saying, is how do you navigate through that? So I would say in my personal life, when I felt stuck or unwatered, mm-hmm. <laughs> you could say that unwatered, mm-hmm. The first step for me was always to have that moment of recognition that I am unwatered and I'm feeling drought-like. <laughs> right. <laughs> Drought-lin. <laughs> Drought-lin. <laughs> yeah. So when I have that moment, then I step back and I observe the larger picture, I tr- or I try to have the discipline to observe the larger picture. And then I look for different ways where I can restore the nourishment of water. So that's that's how it impacts me. And I think everybody goes through cycles of drought. And it's it's understanding that this is part of the experience of being on Earth. So Mm -hmm. how do we we get through it? How do we get the little boat off the pier and into the water? How do we find the water? Do you ever think, anybody, uh, you ever think about... um your relationship to that kind of a drought, a personal drought, um, in terms of how your life might have been out of balance and led to that circumstance arising? 
But that's one of the things that, that, that you know, we've all thought about. Um, those of us who have done some some shamanic or spiritual work regarding the rain uh, is, you know, how out of balance we are in our relationship with water as a culture. And so I'm just wondering if the same reflection applies or if you have experience with that um, in a personal drought. Well, I think that for me, when I've seen what happens with the drought, what is very interesting, and I tend to associate water with things like symbolically with like the subconscious or the emotions, um, that when there is a drought and especially when bodies of water dry up, which could be a symbol for when an emotional body of water has built up, where we have created some emotional aspect around something. When it dries up, there are things that are deep beneath the surface that suddenly get revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it makes, because I, I know that driving by one of the reservoirs here, it had dried up so much that you could actually see, and they were finding like, tires and chairs and different things that were stuck and buried down in the bottom of the lake or the reservoir Mm. that you would never be aware of. And so for me, from a symbolic standpoint, that's kind of like that ability we learn to do to bury things in the emotional basement that we don't want to have to see or deal with. And if they're there long enough, we forget about them. But when there is a period of drought, suddenly those things come to the surface or suddenly those things are revealed and we're kind of forced to have to look at them. So for me, I think a drought, whether literal or figurative, can indicate, uh, you know, needing to look at things that have gotten so buried and lost and out of sight that we have neglected to properly deal with them or heal them or do something about them. And we may be being poisoned by them without realizing it. Mm. Something that may be buried in the bottom of that reservoir maybe, you know, is slowly leaking some little chemical or is some old, old thing that still has lead or something in it, you know, that is getting into the water. And we don't realize that or see that until suddenly it's exposed. And that, I think, is what the drought can do is actually expose things that have gotten lost from sight that may actually be poisoning the well, so to speak, mm. with us actually realizing it. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. All right. Any last thoughts from anyone on this topic? Deb? Oh, um, even though it's caused me some uh, additional work and certainly will be additional expense, um, I'm very happy that the, the rain did... Um, fall for the amount of time that it did. Um, I, I love the green. I'm, I'm a green person. Um, I, I think our California golden color is, is wonderful, but I love the green rolling hills. Mm, yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks everyone for sharing your thoughts on this. And I invite our listeners to, to think about the drought and the rain and the, pendulum that swings from extreme back into balance and to look at aspects of your own lives where you are experiencing drought where you might be exacerbating drought uh, and what you might do to to recultivate balance especially in areas 
that are watery, like your emotional state and your relationships and uh, your connection to the vitality of life. So thanks very much for, for joining us so far. Please stay tuned to the rest of the show. We are going to be talking a little bit more about the nature of drought uh, and the nature of uh, the, the restoration of balance. So thanks for listening and stay with us. And, and uh, thanks to my co-hosts, Deb, Mildred Lynn, and High C. And we'll be right back. Thanks, guys. Have a good You're show, welcome. John. Bye for now. At Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. We're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. Lately, as we've been experiencing drought here in California, There's been a lot of talk about and attention to the need for rain and what we as holistic, sensitive, sacred participants can do about it. We're going to talk quite a bit about this throughout the show today because there are some powerful experiences to be had in exactly the conditions of lack that we're in right now. You know, it was about a year ago, I think. It's buried in my journal somewhere. One night I had a dream, and in that dream... I was on a factory tour in the Philippines. I'm not sure why it was the Philippines. There's probably meaning in that. But anyway, the factory was on the coast. In fact, it was right on the shoreline. We were walking along the edge of the factory property, and I could literally step right out onto the beach. Evening was gathering. The light was fading from the sky. I had this incredible urge to walk the beach and leave the factory tour. I strayed once and then twice, and finally, in the presence of a very stern look from the dark, blonde-haired woman who was our tour guide, I just slipped away from the tour as they entered the factory through a big loading dock door, and I went down to the beach. There were a couple of locals there, I think, but it was not a beach crowd beach. It was just an edge, you know, where the wild meets the manipulated. A, a dirty beach, really, because of its proximity to the factory. So it wasn't, it wasn't attractive in any way. Anyway, as night approached, and I walked the surf-pressed sand, I was suddenly captured by a trance state. I bent over and began to spin, slowly at first, like a dance. I twirled around with my back and head parallel to the ground. As I continued to spin, I got lighter and lighter, lighter and lighter, until I began to rise up. Not as a body, though. I'd become too light to be a body. I'd become something diaphanous, open, swirling, more space than substance. I'd become a cloud. Up and up and up I floated, 
and merged with the rightful owners of the sky. Those natural, big, broad, white and gray clouds that you can just see are dripping with moisture, waiting for the right time to open and release their precious charges. Millions upon millions of tiny drops of water careening towards the ground. As I merged with the clouds, I got a sense of what it was like to be a cloud and to be a collector of moisture, of water. I, too, began to become full, saturated, soaking like an overfull sponge. I was still more space than substance, but I was also filling, filling up and, and feeling a little, what, uh, sloshed, <laughs> sloshy. No, more like juicy, like a really plump cherry or maybe better, yeah, uh, like a field of tall grass after a rain. Touch it and you're soaked, even though it might not look particularly wet. And then, in a gentle crescendo, I began to release all that water. Tiny drops at first, and then bigger and bigger as they connected and merged and became weightier and weightier. And then I was falling, 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 falling down into the ocean below, and in a million tiny pieces, merging again with the water of the sea. The feeling was transcendent and amazing. The whole process felt like uh, about five, maybe ten minutes. Spinning, rising, floating, falling, reconnecting. It was thrilling and enthralling. If I could summarize my emotional, spiritual, and perceptive state in one word, you know, what, what I received from the whole experience, it would be, it would be reverence. When I awoke, I realized I'd just been part of a rain dance. Someone had shown me what it was like to be inside the dance that is the rain. And that was actually the profound lesson, the essential lesson. Quite a few years back while doing some deep journey work, I was shown a powerful pathway to doing healing work. It related to Qigong the movement and management of qi, the life force. I subsequently used the technique, oddly enough, on a cracked water heater in my attic, a recalcitrant printer, and an extension cord that we really needed to work while out at a rain-soaked music festival. Here's what both the rain dance and the Qigong healing session have in common. Empathy. In the rain dance, there was no doubt that I was experiencing what it's like to be water vapor, a cloud, and the raindrops themselves. I was inside the energetic signature, one might say soul or spirit, of the water, cloud, rain, from the moment the trance caught me and I started spinning. And the Qigong experience? It was entirely about becoming one with the target of healing. I was instructed to... Uh, or shown, guided, really, to completely merge with the target. But here's the thing, and this is essential. There was only one way to completely resonate with the target healing. It was to, A, love that target in its current state, complete, total, 
unconditional love and compassion. And B, love myself as that target unconditionally and completely. To have complete reverence for myself as the other. In other words, once I became the wounded kidney, liver, pancreas or whatever, I had to find a way to have complete self-love as that wounded kidney, liver, pancreas, etc. That means including the wounds themselves, including the processes and incursions and alternative functions that were present, including even the presence of death. And here's the tricky part. If you love something completely and unconditionally, and you love yourself in that moment, whomever you're representing or merged with at the time, yourself meaning you as that other, there's a real question about what change is appropriate, what change is called for, what change is wanted. There's a real question about what is normal, because everything in that moment is exactly as it should be, and everything is always changing. So the whole notion of having an agenda becomes extremely difficult to hold on to in such a state, even if your inclination is to heal or to bring rain. So there's a deep question of agency at the bottom of this. Is drought in this moment exactly what is needed? Is the wound or the illness exactly appropriate for the circumstances? What is the perfect next course of action? And it seems to me, it all comes down to one thing. The next course of action is always, 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 unconditional love. Later, in that deep journey work experience, I was guided to a revelation about the fabled Philosopher's Stone, the one that holds the secret to transmutation, the ability to turn base metals into gold. It's said that the secret is so simple it's actually written on the stone itself. The thing is, once you truly master the secret, you rarely have the desire to apply it anymore. We'll be right back. You're listening to Convergence with host John Carousella on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about drought, uh, rain, and, and weather. And in particular, I want to introduce you to two very powerful teachers David Corbin and Nan Moss. Now, they're not with me on the show today, but um, I want to direct you to their website, www.shamancircle.com, because David and Nan, in addition to being long-standing faculty members with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, where I received a significant part of my training, are also specialists in weather shamanism, their relationship to the elements, uh, and their ability to understand and commune and connect to the elemental forces of nature, and in particular the forces that shape our weather, is something that they are uh, very talented at 
and they also teach it. So I've had the the blessing to have learned a little bit about weather shamanism through working with David and, and Nan. And they have a blog. It's called Thor's Day. Thor, as in the Norse god, uh, Thor's Day. And it comes out every Thursday. And if you go to uh, shamancircle.com, you can sign up for it. And I want to bring your attention to three blog posts that they've offered uh, starting on January 23rd that talk about our relationship with the weather and that sort of sacred relationship that we can have and ways to understand it. So the first one I want to share with you is entitled On Whose Terms? And it was published January 23rd. In it they write, Our explorations and works in weather shamanism are all based on relationship. There is no better foundation for genuine and beneficial alliances with spirits, forces, and beings of earth and sky than authentic relationship. And any mention of relationship begs the question, on whose terms? Of course, the reality check of a healthy relationship is to see if the terms are equitable and fluid. There can be no permanent ownership of terms. The adage of give and take could shift to gift and receive, allowing for greater ease in terms of living, breathing, and relating. And so we hear of the successful snow dance at Lake Tahoe a few weeks ago. The backstory goes way beyond tribal people showing up and performing a dance intended to bring snow. Their story goes back for generations upon generations of ancestral relationships with the beings, forces, and spirits of earth and sky, of circles and cycles of gifting and receiving, receiving and gifting, all with exchanges of terms rather than rules of engagement. The kind of patient, evolving, honest reciprocity that fashions a worldview based on life experience worth handing down to succeeding generations. And so it goes. And so, not very far away in Arizona, are the Hopi peoples, whose traditional ceremonies dedicated to the successful growth of food crops include calling upon their ancestors to gift them with the weathers needed for the growing season, so that all may live. The Kachinas emerge from the realm of what our maps call the San Francisco Mountains, sacred land that has the city of Flagstaff at its base, as well as a forest service ski area and multiple use policies that make for uneasy neighbors and contentiousness around the issue of whose terms. Another story snippet in the world news, supposedly the Russians are turning to their shamans to bring the much-needed snow for the upcoming winter games at Sochi. The Chinese turned to weather modification technology to clear the badly polluted air at their Summer Olympic Games. It worked pretty well, but the Russians are asking for something greater than that. They want a miracle, the kind that requires relationships with spirits, forces, and beings of earth and sky. Of course, they're turning to the shamans. We, too, can have that kind of relationship. It's not too late. Make the intention to show up with your heart, mind, and ears open and willingly give it all you've got.
So thanks to David and Nan for that that reality check that what we're really talking about here is not manipulation of the weather. It's not control of the weather. It's not a mechanism or even a technology. It's a relationship. And a relationship works best when we show up with our authentic selves with the intention to serve one another as opposed to simply be served or to get something out of it. So when we think about interacting with the weather, one of the first things we need to do, perhaps, is come to know ourselves in an honest way and come to know the spirits of the weather in an honest way. Not in a, in a perspective of, uh, or an attitude of manipulation, but in an attitude of communion. The next entry in the, the Thor's Day blog that I want to share with you comes from February 6th. It's called Rainmakers Don't Battle. And they write, We hear of rainmakers from time to time. Who is a rainmaker, really, and how do they work? They do not battle or attempt to control weather. Most simply described, a rainmaker allows. This is not easy for most of us to grasp. Somehow a rainmaker finds a way to align with that which they seek. It may be an inborn natural talent for relationship or a degree of sensitivity that can be learned and cultivated. True rainmakers don't indulge in confronting or attempting to control that which they cannot. Rainmakers don't battle. Yet they seem to be capable of creating or calling down the weather conditions that are needed and at the right time and place. Furthermore, their abilities are not limited to weather. It is said that rainmakers engender well-being effortlessly wherever they go. And should we, too, feel called to spiritually work with weather on behalf of a realm in need, we have to remain mindful not to impose our personal sense of balance without considering the greater picture. It is true that as residents of a particular realm, we count as part of its reality. We, too, are affected by the local weathers, and in turn, we affect them along with other local beings. We all share in this middle world experience, and yet, as individuals, we aren't the whole story. Just as the local weathers are not the entire story of the overall climate and its relentlessly changing nature. If we make our spiritual work a priority, we can be of real service to our communities in these matters, especially aligning ourselves with a new story, such as one of a beautiful, viable planet, and all therein. Few of us are brought up in an indigenous tradition with elders who could show the way, and yet we can respectfully access some of their ancestral knowledge. Those who practice shamanism have the advantage of working with compassionate helping spirits in all the worlds. We know that we really are all in it together, no matter where we come from, no matter which way things go in the end. We can remember that changes from the heart go far deeper in their reach than changes made from a place of fear. A primary task and gift, along with the path of weather shamanism, is the calling to bless the weather, no matter what. This is not a way to lie to ourselves or to the weather. It is an opportunity to acknowledge genuine feelings around genuinely threatening conditions. We can also support one another 
in the great endeavor of turning a war into a relationship. We need to continue to learn more about the reality and potential of this great shift in its process of changing our world. And we need to know the reality of our potential for aligning with change. We have successfully faced enormous challenges to our life ways and survival before. We can do it again. However, the time is undeniably now if we are to achieve a fortunate outcome for all of us, including all our planet and animal relations. Okay, and yet that overprotected, coddled little groundhog saw its shadow, setting off cascades of weeps and groans reportedly heard at least across the continent and likely further. So now we're looking at six more weeks of winter, of the winter. And soon enough, the global warming deniers will get excited, perhaps goaded along by the conspiracy theorists, and before that cute little rodent seer goes back to sleep, we'll hear renewed battle cries and exhortations summoning us to join the war against nature's latest outrages, to face the situation and its dilemmas of global warming, and thus the overall climate changes on our planet, we have to own our part in it all, and come to terms with the requirements of its reality. None of us are served by defining this predicament as a battle or get another global war. The earth has seen change of this magnitude before, and so have our ancestors. If we fail to respond right now, we may actually have a battle on our hands, but it will not be a matched conflict. It will be a fight for our lives. The key is to live with it. So in this entry, we hear more about the nature of rainmaking as a, an act of love, an act of communion, of connection of service. We hear about acknowledging and blessing the weather regardless of what it is. And it's a call to action too to see that in the presence of the dramatic climate changes that are facing us, we can still be in relationship with the weather and we can still ask for the natural favors, the natural gift, giving and receiving, the natural blessings that come from an authentic relationship. But we have to actually see it as a relationship. We have to actually see it as something we do in communion, something that we participate in as opposed to something that we control or dominate because we are much smaller than the weather. And it would be pretty arrogant to think that we could control, own, manipulate in a safe and responsible way all of that power. And then the last entry I want to read from Thor's Day blog by David Corbin and Nan Moss is the one they posted on February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day. And we had begun to receive some rain here in California. It's entitled, Right as rain. So the rains returned to California, at least for a time. Much welcomed soaking downpours, enough that the parched earth could not even accept it at first, water rolling off as from a duck's back, creating floods and washouts, before gradually sinking in with its life-giving nourishment. Why does a drought like this happen? We can say many things, 
without ever really knowing. Perhaps there needed to be a dry period to reduce some disease or insect infestation that was out of balance. Maybe the plants and animals need to be stressed now and again to ensure their strength and viability. Have our pollution and careless living set in motion conditions that interfere with the natural flow of the atmosphere? Could it be, too, that the weather spirits want our help? Do they miss the relationship, the honoring and the prayers of the shamans and their communities of old? There are some people today who are working hard to help restore those lost connections. It is a small drop in the bucket compared to those times when they knew that all was alive. Then, too, there's this, as Elliot Cowan was told by the rain god and cited from his book, Plant Spirit Medicine. If people get enough rain every year, they take it for granted. They don't learn anything that way. Even now, as the rains return, there are those who will heave a sigh of relief and say that the drought is over, that we are back to normal, and begin to forget. But times like these, droughts, rare snow and ice storms in Oregon, in the deep south, continued relentless snow and cold in the northeast, remind us of all that is real, all that is sacred. When our homes, our livelihoods, our very lives are threatened, we remember. Every drop of water is sacred. Every breath of air, every handful of soil, every spark of fire is sacred. We, too, are sacred. The world is an intricate balance of beings and forces, dances of chaos and order that are beyond our capacity to understand, but well within our ability to appreciate. And gratitude is a prerequisite for relationship, which is necessary for balance and the return of life-giving rain at just the right time. So here again, David and Nan point out how it's a complicated system of interrelated, relating things and how we as humans have a role to play in tending to our garden that is this planet. We are part of it. We are a delightful, intricate, complex part of it. And we can make such a beautiful difference. We can cultivate beauty, cultivate abundance, cultivate diversity and richness. This is a garden. We get what we cultivate. We reap what we sow. And if you look around, you'll see that's exactly what's happening. We are reaping a harvest that we have sown. And it's up to us. It's our choice to come back into relationship to come back, to become one again, to become a member of the family again. And, as Elliot Cowan was told by the rain god, sometimes, if people don't, if people get enough rain every year, they take it for granted, and they don't learn anything that way. So, maybe we can learn something from this drought. Maybe we can bring ourselves back into relationship, back into balance. Maybe we can learn something. 
Thanks to David Corbin and Nan Moss at shamancircle.com. I encourage you to go see more of what they have to offer. We'll be right back. A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi-C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal tarot reading, contact Hi-C at tarotbyhi-c.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com. Welcome back. This is Convergence. I'm your host, John Carousella. So, now I want to talk a little bit about patience. What is patience, actually? For those of you who follow this show, <laughs> you might have, you might be learning quite a bit about the nature of patience simply by listening to me and my wandering, meandering stories. And, and this is another one. Um, anyway, for those of you who follow the show, you might have discovered that Claire de Lune by Debussy is one of my favorite pieces of music. It is, bar none, the most beautiful piece of music ever written for the piano. To me, anyway. And I play the piano, sort of. I first took lessons back in high school in the late 70s. Accompanied my high school choir in my senior year. That was a really cool adventure. But circumstances changed and I lost touch with music making for many years. When we moved out to California in the mid-90s, we were in the middle of our child-rearing years. And eventually, when it was time, we bought a piano. I wanted the kids to take lessons. And I wanted to have a musical household. They took lessons. And then quit, of course. Eventually, both my sons came back to music, and they're both quite accomplished musicians now. And my youngest, he's the piano man in the family. It's awesome. I never lost my love for the piano, just my faith and confidence in myself as a partner to it. I've had sheet music for Claire de Lune for probably 15 years or so, maybe 20. My son learned it. He plays it magnificently. But me? I tried off and on, but never made much progress. My latest attempt was last year. I learned the first two pages pretty well, but got stuck and couldn't get myself unstuck. I just put it away in frustration and gave up. Again. 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 So frustrating. But something has changed. Something is different now. I'm in a new place in my life. It's not just that my primary relationship has changed. It's that my relationship to myself has changed. And not entirely in the way that I'd anticipated. I've been on this long, strange trip of shifting into my new self for almost a year now. It's been a very big challenge for a number of reasons. But perhaps the most interesting shift for me has come in a new relationship with trust. Trust in the divine, trust in myself, trust in the mystery, the unseen, the unknowable. Trust in the void. You know, as a type A Aries white male, I've always been driven and driven by a desire to control, to have mastery over my environment, to impress my will into the fabric of reality, to be a maker of my world in the most hands-on, will-driven, command-and-control way you can imagine. And that has started to change. 
Now, you'd think after all these years of spiritual study and exploration and all these months of having amazing, enlightened guests on my show, I would be further along by now. But this one area has been a real bunker for me, a last bastion of my ego, loaded with blind spots and fury and desperate self-denial. So, as they say, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And may I say, finally. I, I don't remember whether I've shared this with you or not, but the day before Thanksgiving, as I was contemplating where I was going to live, as I set out on my own, I got a call from a friend who I hadn't connected with in a while. I told him of my circumstances and that I needed to find a place. He took in my story, and after a brief silence, he said, I think I might be able to help you out. Let me make a phone call, and I'll get right back to you. He called back a few minutes later. My in-laws are going on a world cruise for four months, and they don't have a house sitter. Would you like to stay there? It'll be available from mid-December until the end of April. <laughs> well, by Jiminy, you can imagine what a happy surprise that was for me. So I've been in this beautiful home and in a place of deep, deep gratitude since just before Christmas. What an amazing gift. Frankly, it's, it's literally unbelievable. Four months of not having to do anything, think about any obligations, tend to any details other than a few bills, my laundry, learning to cook. My type A Aries white male very quickly rubbed his hands with glee and anticipation. Think of how much we can get done, he crowed. And the list of things grew. Hobbies to be explored, websites to be rewritten, new projects to be started, not to mention exploring life as a single guy. Much of it was going to be behind the scenes, plenty of time to develop and craft and hone and then re-enter the world with a big splash, new infrastructure, well-laid plans. And then, Goddess stepped in. I say Goddess because... It was very definitely a feminine presence that came to sit by my side. And she was very clear about my plans. I was to abandon them. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Of course, I fought that tooth and nail. Everything in me said, Don't squander this opportunity to get things done. And she said, Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. And when I didn't listen, she'd put me to sleep. Lotus Land would descend upon me in the middle of the day and force me to nap. For hours. For hours. And still I resisted. By this point, I'd asked and received clear answers, but I still wasn't bending. I kept on trying to make things happen. And she said, We are not going to allow that. This time is too precious. The opportunity is too precious. The gift we've given you is too precious. You must slow down. And poof, I got sick. <laughs> the kind of illness that isn't an illness exactly because you don't actually feel sick, but you have all the symptoms, like a really bad allergy attack that lasts for two weeks. You can't really do anything. You can't think. You can't write. You can't read. You can't even watch TV, really, because it hurts your eyes. Too tired and miserable, too drained, like you're carrying an extra 60-pound backpack around with you everywhere. I could easily have gone to the drugstore and gotten the symptomatic relief that's so easily available. 
It really was that simple. But I knew better. By this time, I'd come to grips with the message. It was strange because it, it really was about not squandering an opportunity. Just not the opportunity I thought. The opportunity is not to do, but rather to understand the nature patience, silence, stillness, to listen to the space between the thoughts, to hear the music between the notes, to go slowly enough to sense what is already present and celebrate intimacy with that instead of trying to make something else or make something else happen. So I've been deepening my relationship with stillness and with want. So much that I want to accomplish and yet it all sits there undoing or not doing, waiting in the void. And what's interesting is that in addition to a deepening relationship to stillness and being willing to receive and perceive what is already there, my relationship with that what vacuum potential is getting clearer there's something powerful being revealed to me about lack in the in the absence of satisfaction of my desires and the exercise of tuning in to this lesson is something i've come to call active patience it's a willingness to be in the presence of lack and explore what that feels like, what is perceivable, what latent, subtle muscles can be discovered and exercised. I never thought of fasting, for example, in this way. I always thought of fasting as something to, to get through, as an exercise in discipline and a process of cleansing. Distract my way through it so I don't notice it until it's over. But no, now, now I think that there's actually much more to it. I also catch a glimpse of this same experience in yoga. The muscle that so desperately wants to be stretched but I can't quite get to it. Or the breathing, slowly enough so that there's a deep desire for it to be faster. And directing that slow breathing toward a place of resistance or discomfort, physical or psychic or otherwise. There's magic in the longing and not just in the ultimate resolution of the longing, the satisfying of the desire, but in the contours of the longing itself. It has much to teach me about who I am and the nature of the world and the subtle nature of the longing itself. It sheds light on need, on receiving, on presence, and on resistance. What am I resisting? What is the longing saying about what I am resisting? I'm learning Claire de Lune. I had my piano delivered to this temporary space. I'm learning it so much faster and more gracefully now. I understand that when I'm stuck, it's not because I'm incapable. It's because I'm impatient with what is. I can see that now. Now I can slow down enough to bear 
unflinching witness to what is, where my fingers are and aren't going, how fast or slow I can make them go. And I don't judge them, and I don't pretend that it isn't true. I bear deep and honest witness to my sometimes humble but always beautiful reality. And I say yes to what is being offered. I, I have the piano. I have my fingers. And I have all the time I need. It doesn't have to be different. I can work with what is just as surely as I could work with some other projected reality. In fact, it's actually easier and more productive to work with what is. Imagine that. Goddess is being very firm, gentle but firm, that coming into relationship with what is, is essential. Saying yes to what is being offered is the key to unfolding my future, my potential, my destiny. And so I'm learning Claire de Lune by staying present to what is. And I look at this California drought in a new way, too. What is being offered? You know, if we weren't having this drought, our attention would not be on our relationship with water. It would be on something else. But perhaps, with this powerful message from nature, we'll realize just how precious this resource is, and among other possible benefits, we won't allow fracking, which both consumes huge quantities of water and more or less permanently poisons the water table here in California. Maybe our government leaders have enough lack to hear the real song, the one in between the clamoring, cacophonous notes of greed and status quo. Active patience is just as profound and powerful, just as engaging, honestly, as getting something done. It's just a yin exploration, a yin state of being. My sense of self continues to evolve. The subtle doorways are being illuminated. It happens when I slow down, when I stay present, when I say yes. Friends, stay present to what is. Say yes to what is being offered. There be magic and mystery. We'll be right back. Yes, we've added to our lineup of lively, thought-provoking shows. But don't forget our original Sunday morning lineup at 10.30 a.m. Join us for Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn McDonald every first Sunday. Revolution with Heisey Lutmers every second Sunday. Convergence with John Carousella every third Sunday. And our popular on-air call-in show the fourth Sunday of every month. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Well, that's it for today. It's amazing how everything is interconnected. From dancing with the rain, to loving what's wounded, to transmuting or not, 
to learning how to harvest from longing. It all happens by seeking a deep intimacy with what is and saying yes to the beauty and power of what's being offered. I hope you enjoyed the show. We welcome your feedback. You can always drop us a note on the Firefly Willows Facebook page. Convergence will be back again next month. And stay tuned to Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for our other interesting shows and fascinating hosts and guests. blogtalkradio.com slash Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lizney. Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m.